Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.purevoice.com forward slash B-A-R. This independent learning activity is funded by Sanofi Canada. As we have seen with our lovely 80-year-old patient from the Maritimes, immunotherapy may play an important role in our patients with metastatic or locally advanced cutaneous squamosal carcinoma who are not curable by surgery or radiation therapy. For many patients with advanced cutaneous squamosal carcinoma, the decision to treat with systemic therapy is nuanced. So let's talk about how we can identify appropriate patients and more importantly, how we can optimize their care to achieve their best possible outcomes. Dr. Walker, I know you're an expert in this field on immunotherapy. I was hoping you could update us on some of the current research in this area. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. The quality of the data that informs our treatment decision-making is actually quite good. So I'll begin with a brief overview of the EMPOWER clinical trial. This was a three-armed phase two clinical trial that enrolled patients with either locally advanced and unresectable cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma or patients who had overt metastatic disease and who were also therefore deemed unresectable. All patients received simiplumab immunotherapy. And I have to say, treaters pretty much universally were thrilled with the results of this study. The objective response rate associated with simiplumab came in at around 50%, which implied that half of the patients we would treat had either a partial or a complete response to treatment. But perhaps what was even more exciting was the durability of response that was observed. And I think in clinical practice, what is really important to note here, these are almost inevitably elderly patients who also have often significant medical comorbidities. It's also important to consider treatment safety and treatment-related toxicities when evaluating any clinical trial or data set. And so if you look at the rate of treatment emergent adverse events that were grade three or higher, the rate of serious adverse events was just about 30%, which is about one in three treated patients. Now, Important again to note that not all of those toxicities would have been associated with the use of simiplumab. When you look at the specific incidence of what were deemed immune-related adverse events, the incidence of these toxicities drops to just 10% or 1 in 10 treated patients. A medical oncologist often finds it very reassuring when two in-class agents yield similar data within the same patient population. And indeed, by looking at this data regarding the use of pembrolizumab, you can see that is the case. The objective response rate associated with the use of pembrolizumab, another PD-1 inhibitor, was again 50%. And it varied slightly when the metastatic patient population was assessed. And the other side of the coin to efficacy is tolerability or safety. And once again, we're seeing this 11.9% incidence of grade three or greater adverse events, which is very comparable to the 10% that was reported with the use of simiplumab. And of course, while these toxicities can be severe, they are often quite manageable and even completely reversible with appropriate care. 
this slide now presents just a quick graphic as to how one might manage toxicities should they occur. Anytime you're getting into a toxicity that may be grade two or higher, generally speaking, your first measure is to withhold the next dose of immune therapy. If you're in a situation where you're dealing with a grade three or a grade four toxicities, now you're not just withholding your next infusion of semiplumab, but you're going to institute treatment with an oral steroid like prednisone. And that's often a very effective strategy that will result in complete resolution of the toxicity, but very important to continue with close monitoring and observation to ensure that that is indeed the case. Dr. Walker, it seems like the complications are infrequent. Would this go along with what you're seeing in your clinical practice? Yeah, absolutely. As medical oncologists have gained more experience with the use of agents such as semiplumab, we've really been reassured that the incidence and the severity of immune-related toxicities that were first reported in the registration clinical trials is very reflective of what we see in day-to-day -day practice. Great. Thank you, Dr. Walker. So we need to identify who are appropriate candidates for this systemic therapy. As a surgeon, when I evaluate a new patient, I'm always still thinking surgery. There are times, however, when I may want to pivot on how we proceed to treatment. The one case that most surgeons would recognize is that if you have an advanced cutaneous squamous cell around the eye, necessitating removal of the eye, it's definitely reasonable at this point to consider immunotherapy up front as an alternative to surgical removal of the eye. The other cases where I may reconsider surgery is if appropriate surgery has been done and the patient still recurs. The other candidates for immunotherapy in my mind are if they're not good candidates for a general anesthetic or it's not something you can do under a local anesthetic, or if the patient is just not willing to undergo fairly extensive and what should be considered debilitating surgery. So that would include a total removal of the nose, removal of a large component of the face. Our standard of care at Dalhousie is we present all cutaneous squamous cell carcinomas, all stages, at a multidisciplinary tumor board. We also have radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, radiologists, and pathologists. Dr. Walker, there are cases where there could be metastatic spread, where I will refer the patient to a medical oncologist. They'll start immunotherapy. They'll have about four cycles of treatment. They'll show up in my office. I don't see any visible tumor. There doesn't seem to be any real clear guidelines on what to do. We tend to just continue on with immunotherapy. What's been your experience in Alberta? Yeah, I will say it's still early days in the setting of cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. While many of us believe that these deep responses are very likely to be durable, perhaps even after cessation of treatment, we won't know that until more time has passed. So often we'll continue with therapy, but I think it's really critical that you still have the input of all of the allied disciplines, really important to ensure that surgical oncology remains involved in these cases. If we now turn and have a look at some of the future directions in which clinical research is taking us, we can see that these agents have been moved from the locally advanced and metastatic setting 
now into the neoadjuvant setting. And perhaps, Dr. Taylor, you could take us through this data being the preoperative patient. Thank you, Dr. Walker. This is perhaps one of the most exciting studies that I've seen in my 20 plus years of managing cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. The study essentially is treating patients with four cycles of neoadjuvant semiplumab preoperatively. They then go on to surgery. As you can see, half of the patients, 51%, actually had a pathologic complete response. So what that means is there was no viable cancer in the resected specimen, which as you can imagine for a surgeon, it's a game-changing study. This is an update from ESMO. This was part two of the study. Those patients that had a complete pathologic response, about a third of them had ongoing treatment with semiplumab. As you can see, all patients at 12 months, event-free survival was 90% essentially, a little bit higher in those with a complete pathologic response, as you would expect, approximately 95%. Well, this has been a great discussion, Dr. Walker. I'd just like to summarize a couple of points. I think it's critical that patients should be evaluated for immunotherapy or if the cancer is considered unresectable by an oncologic surgeon. In cases of cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma that are multiply recurrent in areas of immense functional significance, such as those cases that would require removal of an eye or perhaps even a total rhinectomy. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more, Dr. Taylor. I think we have clear and open lines of communication between our various disciplines so that we're not missing the opportunity to work together and offer these patients this really exciting and often very well-tolerated therapy. Thank you, Dr. Walker. It's been great doing this seminar with you. And I'll say the very same to you, Dr. Taylor. Thank you. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.